Well, hey everyone, good morning and welcome to South Fellowship Online. I'm Larry Boatwright. I'm one of the pastors here at South. And uh, it's really great to be back with you. Uh, a few months ago, I found myself in this, this pattern, sort of stuck in this pattern where I scrolled through Facebook and I get really frustrated at how hateful people were being and how they would post things that just simply weren't true about controversial subjects. And I found myself going over to Snopes and looking up you know, the real answer on the thing that they were saying and copying that link. And I'd go back to their posts and start leaving a comment, this long snarky comment about, hey, this isn't true. And here's the link that shows the truth and stop spreading misinformation and stop being so divisive and, and all those sorts of things. And I found my blood pressure going up. I found myself getting really agitated. And, and then before I would post it or leave the comment, I would delete it and go, why am I spending so much time belly aching about this and being so frustrated? But it happened over and over. And part of it's my wiring. I'm a moderate person. I really value the exchange of ideas and people from different perspectives as long as it's respectful. But as we all know, not everyone on Facebook is respectful or even truthful. And so I started months ago thinking about what might I want to give up for Lent? What would help me separate myself from something so that I could better live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? And guess what came to mind? Facebook. I'll give up Facebook. And so I went weeks without looking at Facebook. No scrolling, no getting angry, no getting frustrated at how divided everyone seemed. And I can't tell you how peaceful that was for me. See, the truth is we live in a really divided time, don't we? I mean, everybody has an opinion. And it seems in some ways to me like we've lost the ability to exchange our ideas and still love one another. That the divisiveness, the, the diversity, the differences among us polarize us so heavily that we can't have decent conversation. There are lots of different opinions right now on politics and immigration and religion and sexuality and ethnicity and war and economics or how do we deal with COVID, the thing that we find ourselves all of in the middle of it. And on and on it goes. Lots of division, lots of issues, lots of things to work through. So we find ourselves as Christians in this very diverse, this very divisive cultural moment. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself, myself saying, how do I follow Jesus? How do I show the love of God in a time like this? What does following Jesus look like in a world that's so divided? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins calling his disciples. And, and you might be familiar with this, but he goes to them and he says, follow me. And what does he say after that? What does he say about following him? He says, follow me and I'll teach you how to have really deep Bible studies and to parse the Greek and the Hebrew and all those things. He says, show me, I'm going to show you how to put on killer events if you follow me. Follow me and I'll, I'll shelter you. I'll protect you from the world around you. Follow me and I'll help you put on an amazing weekend gatherings or I'll help you grow your church or I'll te teach you how to separate yourself from other people or I'll teach you how to argue with people that you disagree with. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. What Jesus said was, follow me and I'll what? I'll make you fishers of men. What does that mean? Well, essentially, Jesus, it means that he invites his disciples and, and by extension, he invites us to go out and make disciples, to tell others the good news of the kingdom. The king is here. His kingdom is now. He's renewing all things and he invites people to join with him in the renewing of all things. And he invites people then to experience hope and freedom and joy and a relationship with this God that so dearly loves them. And, and or as we say here, he's inviting them to live in his way, what? 
fill it in with his heart. But one of the mistakes that a lot of churches make is that they build a, a community, a church community where everyone looks the same. They, they believe the same things and that church is focused on them and their own personal preferences. Think about that. It's a huge mistake to say that the, the church exists for me. I mean, we can easily be influenced by our culture and the consumeristic culture we find ourselves in, the individualistic culture we find ourselves in, and want to build a church that's about church the way that I like it, every last little preference being the way that I want it to be. I had a lot of people throughout the years come up to me and say, uh, that, that were new to the church and say, well, you know, at my old church, we did this program and I really liked that, or, or I really liked the way my pastor preached, or I really liked the types of Bible studies that we had, or I really liked this kind of chair, and on and on and on it goes. And, and I've heard people say this thing that drives me nuts. I'm just not being fed, but I was being fed there. And I've always wanted to look at them and say, you know, it's really interesting. It sounds like you really liked your old church. Why don't you go back there? See, it's easy to build a community where everything looks the same, where our preferences win and all those sorts of things. But, but is that really what being the church in, a, in such a divisive time looks like? Erwin McManus is a pastor that I've followed for a long time, and he's a futurist, he's an author, and he has a book that really changed my perspective years ago on what the church should be about. And it's a book called The Unstoppable force, becoming the church God had in mind. And listen to what Erwin had to say about the role of the church. He said, the church is not here to meet our needs. We are the church, here to meet the needs of the world. Let me just say that again. The church is not here to meet our needs. We are the church, here to meet the needs of the world. I don't know about you, but that cuts me to my core. It's so powerful. And I think about a time that we live in right now with a global pandemic, with, with division over all kinds of issues, lots of obstacles in front of us. And we could just sort of stop there and go, well, all those obstacles. But what if right now, the church, the, the, the church that Jesus founded almost 2,000 years ago, this movement, this way, as it was called, the way of Jesus, what if the way of Jesus in this season had this unprecedented opportunity to, to be the church and, and to meet the needs of the world? What if a, the church had a, a, a way to show a better plan, a better way forward? You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said that 10 o'clock a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. But what if the church seized this opportunity to show an unbelieving, hurting world, a divided world, how to look past our differences, past the things that divide us, past the us versus them mentality that's so rampant in our world? What if the church modeled how to do that? And what if because of that, if the kingdom of heaven might break forth right here and right now? Well, I'm really excited because I think that's the exact opportunity that, that not just South Fellowship, but all churches in America and around the world have at this time. Because we're starting a brand new series today called Not Like Me. And we got the idea from a book written by Eric Bryant, who's a pastor in the Austin area, um, called Not Like Me. And it's all about how to develop friendships with people, how to love people, how to influence them with the love of Jesus, even if they look wildly different than us. And it's so timely for our community. We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark for the last several months, and I think God is calling us as a church to step into this moment, to love people where they're at, to look past our differences, to embrace them, and to model a new way. And in this series, we're going to dream about what it might look like to look past our differences, to move beyond the walls of our church, 
to look beyond our stereotypes, to look beyond our differences, to imagine a world that's transformed by Jesus, a world that's moving toward renewal, toward wholeness in Christ, a world where the gospel makes a radical impact on our families and our friends and our neighborhood and our cities and the marginalized and the oppressed in the world. See, when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he, he was saying, follow me and, and do as I do. And I'll show you how to meet people where they are, how to have relationships with real people and to show them how I'm renewing all things and invite them into it. And then he spent the next three years or so modeling this. He invested in his disciples. He lived in community with them. He showed them the way of love and he invited them to live as participants and collaborators in his kingdom. And I think the church is going to have this kind of impact. If the church is going to do what Jesus did, it has to go to the least of these. It has to embrace people that are different than us. And I believe that Jesus wants his church to have that kind of impact in this season. And it's going to mean that for some of us, (laughs) we have to step out of our comfort zone. That we have to let go of, of some of our preconceived ideas. That we have to let some conflicts that maybe have been long standing with relatives or neighbors or people that are different than us, we have to let those conflicts go. And we have to embrace a radical new model, a new way to live in this world, and that is embracing love as our model. And letting go of the differences that, that distinguish us or that separate us, um, letting go of, of differences, determining what experience we have with other people and those people, especially outside the walls of our church. And so, as I said sort of in the promo a few weeks ago about this series, my hope in this series is that it's going to encourage all of us, men and women, Democrats and Republicans, church leaders, not church leaders, lay people from every background to, to learn to move beyond ethnic and racial and cultural and religious and ideological barriers toward really having genuine friendships with people. And with those friendships, allowing the power of God, the transformative power of the gospel, the, the work of Jesus begin to lead toward personal and community transformation as, as sort of this powerful expression of the kingdom of God. We did this survey about 15 months ago, and one of the questions we asked was, prior to coming to South, uh, did you know Jesus, not know Jesus, attend church, not attend church? And you might be surprised to know that 97% of people, and we had a huge amount of people take it, so it was a really good sample size. 97% of people said they knew Jesus and went to church prior to coming to South. And 91% of people said they had known Jesus for a really long time. Now, I love South. I love how God has used this community for his glory in so many ways, but, but those statistics tell me that we have an opportunity to, to grow in our efforts to take what it is that we talk about week in and week out to our neighbors and our communities. And that means that we have to practice looking past our differences because right outside of those walls are people that are different than us. And seeing those stats led me to the question, well, where are all the unchurched people? Like, why don't we have 30% of people say, I didn't know Jesus and I didn't attend church prior to coming to South. And then it led me to ask the question, well, how do we go out and tell people about Jesus and invite them into his kingdom? You know, there are a lot of strategies on how to do this. There's one popular strategy and that's, that's um, learning, um, to, learning a bunch of facts and proof texts and using those to intellectually show to someone that Jesus is real, that the Bible is true, etc. It's called apologetics. And, and it's being able to really, through intellectual arguments, explain that Jesus is real, that Christianity is real, and those sorts of things. 
There's one famous actor that you would know if I said his name. He and an evangelist went out and they would go to a park or out in public and, and they would demonstrate this. They would go to people and convince them that they had broken the Ten Commandments. Once they showed them, well, you've broken the Ten Commandments, they would show them that you're a sinner and sinners uh, needed a savior and asked them to accept Christ. Others have a philosophy of let's put on a really big event and then we'll have a powerful message that tries to convince people to accept Christ. And I'm convinced that that's not the best way. I mean, it's certainly not the way of Jesus and, and it's not the way of the early church. The way of Jesus, the way of the early church was through relationships, by spending time with people, including people who didn't think the way that he did. He went to people that others wouldn't go to and he spent time with them. He heard their stories. He looked past their sin and past their shame and past the, the division that divided cultures and religion. And, and he built relationships with people over time and he loved them for who they were, not as they should be. That actually is the way of Jesus. And he called them out from where they were into something better. He called them to, to move toward wholeness in Christ. That's the way of Jesus. But that can be really challenging when we have a lot of disagreements, when there's so much to disagree on, isn't it? And the church isn't always the best at modeling healthy disagreement or approaching people in love. It's a stereotype, unfortunately, toward Christians in our culture that many churches are known for what they're against rather than what they are for. Maybe you've seen churches like this that are picketing and rallying and barking at culture about how everything they're doing is wrong. Or we also see televangelists and TV preachers get on TV sometimes when there's a global pandemic or there's some tragedy and they point to how this is God's judgment on topic X, whatever it might be. And so what happens is it causes the church to lose her voice and, and to create more noise in a stream of already a ton of noise. And, and, and so instead of contributing to the noise that people already have and them just tuning it out, we need to help people see the beautiful message of Jesus. I once heard an illustration about a pastor who was driving a boat and there was a person who was drowning in this lake and the pastor went out and had this life preserver and the man begged for this life preserver and the pastor circled around him and around him and he was preaching on a megaphone about Jesus and how the man needed Jesus and all these sorts of things. But see, that man, he couldn't hear about Jesus at all because he was drowning and he needed a life preserver. And especially in a season like this where a lot of people are scared and they're afraid, they, they need help, not arguments or intellectual prowess. And so once again, the church all too often is preaching to deaf ears. But what if there's a better way? What if there's another way to look at this? What if there's a model or a, a picture of what it might look like when the church is at its best? Well, thankfully there is. And I want you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, it's, it's really early in the life of the early church. The church sort of was born on Pentecost earlier in the chapter. And as we move toward the end of that, we, we find this church that's huddled together. They were an occupied people. They lived in a very diverse time similar to us. The culture around them had seeped in away from the sort of spiritual culture to um, be influenced in all sorts of ways. And, and, and also, not just that, but even within the church, there was a lot of disagreement, as we see later in the book of Acts, about the scriptures themselves and how to interpret the scripture. And so it was the soup of messiness and division and uh, diversity. But despite all of that, in Acts 2, we get a really beautiful glimpse of how the early church navigated that cultural moment. But beyond that, we see how the culture actually responded to them. Take a look with me in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. 
It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is sort of a lot of churches use this as a model for small groups or Sunday morning gatherings or what fellowship or what community looks like. It's really beautiful to see that. As a result of that, in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Listen to that. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Oh, how I long for the day when COVID is over and we can meet together in homes and break bread together. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's exciting to to hear about the early church in action. Look at verse 47, enjoying the favor of all the people. Now listen, just so we don't mistake this, the early church was kind of weird. I mean, there was this sect of people who talked about this ordinance where they would eat the body of this dead man and drink the blood of this guy who died. They shared their possessions one with another. They had wonders and signs and miracles and, and joy was rampant in the midst of all this. They were very different than the world around them. And so what was the response of the people around them? Was it to blow them off? to write them off? No. The people liked being around them. The scriptures say the early church had favor with the people, and that means favor with the people despite their differences. Did you catch that? The people outside the church, they didn't always agree with the ethics or some of the weird practices or the doctrinal statement or stances of the church, um, but they respected church people. Why? Because church people were great apologists? No. Because they had a really nice facility? No. Because they programmed really good services or really good Bible studies and all those things? No. See, listen, Jesus and the early church invested in relationships with people outside of the church walls. They, they went to peop- where people were. They met daily in the temple courts. They were all amidst the city. They met in homes all across the city. And they connected with people. They had community with people. They loved people for who they were. Instead of just telling them about Jesus, they showed them the love of Jesus. Listen. The greatest apologetic isn't what we say, or it isn't what we sing when we come to church. The greatest apologetic, the greatest testimony of the love of Jesus is the love we show when we take being the church seriously. And I'm going to say it again. The greatest apologetic isn't what we say when we come to the church. It's not what we sing when we come to church. The greatest apologetic, the greatest proof that Jesus is who Jesus said he was uh, is not singing and the scriptures we proclaim or the message that we preach on a Sunday, the greatest apologetic is the love that we show when we take being the church seriously. See, this means that not only do we enjoy sweet fellowship with other people who follow Jesus, but we also are investing in relationships with people outside the walls of the church, people who don't know Jesus yet. And for some of us, that's a really scary proposition in a diverse world like this. I mean, scroll through your Facebook feed and pick people who disagree with you and ask yourself, would I want to hang out with those people all the time? Chances are, for most of us, the answer is probably no. And maybe you're asking, well, how can I have a relationship with someone I disagree with? Well, good question. It's possible. And not only is it possible, listen, it's necessary. See, your neighbors, they don't agree with you on everything. Chances are they don't all look like you. They don't all think the way that you do. But beyond your neighbors, 
What might happen if you started to get to know and befriend others who weren't like you? Maybe people who were of a different political party than you, or had a different color of skin than you do, or had different religious beliefs or convictions than you do, or who made more money than you do, or less money than you do, or a different sexual orientation than you, or had a different first language, or maybe they had a different accent than you do. What would it look like? And why does it matter? You see, I believe relationships, they're the currency of the gospel. Jesus was a relational savior who went and invested in relationships. And if the only relationship we have uh, are with others just like us, uh, we're missing out not only taking the gospel to people who need it, but also from living that full life that Jesus promised us. Because I can promise you, spending time with people who are different than you will make you better. It'll make you a better human. It'll make you a better follower of Jesus. And the thing is, it's working against the grain because our brains are wired to spot differences. It's a survival thing. We're wired to put people into categories. Are, are you with me or are you not? Are you my people or are you not my people? It's us versus them, in versus out. And our culture has followed suit in that. That's why we're so divided because we think very black and white. It's, it's one thing or the other, and there is no middle ground. But listen, the gospel invites us to take a different path, to, to love people, to show them the love of God, even if they're different from us or believe differently than we do, or even if we don't think they deserve the love of God. Sometimes we see people, we're so convinced that they're bad people because they're different than us. And sometimes maybe they'd make some really bad choices, or maybe they are some gnarly people. Sometimes we even just look at someone with a different political idea than us or um, different religious thoughts than us, and we sort of dehumanize them and vilify them and put them in a box. See, it's, it's low-hanging fruit to be satisfied with the status quo, to want to keep everything the same, to surround ourselves with people that are just like us. But listen, people outside of the church walls deserve a church that's on mission, that embraces diversity, that embraces differences, takes it seriously and meets them where they are. And because that's the way of Jesus. And it's the way of the early church. And sometimes God calls us to do that and we don't want to do it. In the Old Testament, there's this story we actually studied last year as a church community of this reluctant missionary named Jonah who, who was kind of like that. He, he didn't like his neighbors because they looked different than him. They actually were pretty gnarly people. They, they lived differently. They were called the Ninevites, and, and Jonah hated the Ninevites. And in Jonah chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. That doesn't sound like fun. Go out to these people who are evil and preach against the city. So what does Jonah do? Well, he goes the opposite direction. He boards a boat and he goes out there and the storm gets horrible. And so he asked the others on the boat to throw him overboard. He said, it's my fault, basically, that this storm is like this and I don't want everybody to die. Just throw me over the board, overboard. And, and um, see, Jonah would rather die than help the people of Nineveh. See, sometimes we allow our personal convictions to be a litmus test for friendship. Our personal convictions to be a, a litmus test on showing the love of God. And we should never do that. We should never label someone and say they're unlovable no matter what they've done if the Lord is speaking to us to care for them, to, to love them, even if it's firm love. Jonah chapter 3 verse 4, on the first day, finally Jonah has relented and he decides to go a different direction. He says, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Listen, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. 
But see, too often we limit those that we think God should love, or those people did bad things, they don't deserve love, or those people voted for candidate X, they don't deserve love, or those people want to close the border, or those people want to open the border, they don't deserve love. Those people are gay, they don't deserve love. Those people have a different color of skin than me, they don't deserve love. See, in the story of Jonah, he didn't want to go to the Ninevites because they were bad people. Not just they were different, they were bad people. And Jonah knew that if he went to them, if he spent time with them, if, if he obeyed God's command to go to them, that God would show him God's kindness. And Jonah didn't want that. I don't want you to show kindness to these people because Jonah perceived, I don't think they deserve it. In Jonah chapter 3, verses starting in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was... He was upset. He was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than for me to live. See, Jonah wanted to die because God wants to forgive. Jonah was upset and didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God's character always leans toward mercy and grace. So here's the thing. When you go to someone who's different than you, what they expect is judgment because that's what they receive from everybody. But, but they don't expect forgiveness or they don't expect kindness or they don't expect the love of God. We have the opportunity to show them it's totally unexpected. When I was first starting out in ministry, I, I worked at this little church and and I was a part of what they did on Tuesday nights they called visitation. And basically, here's what it looked like. A group of people from the church would get together and go to someone's house and knock on the door and ask, could we just come in and just talk with you for a few moments? And then we would try to convince them how much of a sinner that they were. And then we would illustrate using the scriptures, showing them what happens to sinners who don't know Jesus. And we would invite them to say a prayer of giving their life or accepting Jesus into their heart. And then we'd pray over them and invite them to church. And then we'd move on to the next house. And we'd keep this little roster, this address, we met with them, we prayed with them, they made a decision or they didn't, or whatever it might be. And, and I was a youth pastor and I cringed at this. It felt awful to me. And so I used it as a time of training for my students. So I'd be like, hey, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go in here and here's what we're gonna tell them. And I'd send the kids in and I would sort of stand in the back of the room hiding because I didn't really wanna be involved in this thing. Um, and I'd let them practice because I hated every minute of it. Why? because I don't care about people knowing Jesus. No, not at all. It's just that we didn't have a relationship with them. We just showed up and told them that they were sinners and tried to convince them of their sin. And here's the thing. Most of the time, you don't have to convince people that they sin, but you do have to convince them that they're fully loved by God. Let me say it again. Most of the time, you don't have to convince people of sin or of their sin, but you do have to convince them that they're fully loved by God. I don't know why we make the mistake of telling people that they're wrong um, and thinking that that's going to lead to following Jesus with their life. What does Romans tell us? Romans 2 says that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. So what is it? Is it judgment? Is it ignoring people? Is it staying away? No, no, no. It, it is God's kindness leads to repentance. And what would it look like, South, if we took seriously the call to go out and love our neighbors as ourselves? What would it look like to go beyond our differences, our, our stereotypes, those things that, that could uh, you know, separate us and look past them and show kindness to others despite our differences? 
See, God's kindness leads us to repentance. If you've repented, it's because of God's kindness. And that kindness and love, we should be showing other people as well. Yeah, Pastor Yvonne did this survey a few weeks ago to sort of check in with the church community and just to see how everyone's doing during the stay-at-home time. And, and the top response when asked, how can we as a church help you? How can we equip you? The top response was something like, help me learn to show the love of Jesus to my neighbors. I got so excited when I saw that because I knew the series was coming and, and, and that's exactly what this series is about. See, the church, that's, that's you and that's me taking seriously the call to be the church, to get out of our comfort zone, to care for people, to love people radically, to meet their needs despite our differences. And to look at how we can increasingly look like that early church, meeting needs and sharing possessions and caring for the least of these, and to see how God might use that to give us favor with those far from God. And it's been really fun hearing stories of how this is already happening during COVID-19, how people are investing in their neighbors, how people are serving refugees, how people are reaching across political and ideological and socioeconomic and racial and religious lines and more to, to love people well. And I'm excited in this series because I want to introduce you to some of the people in our community who are getting it done as we journey together through this series. So these, these next several weeks, we're going to talk about how to love people we have conflict with. We're going to talk about loving our neighbors in fun and creative ways. We're going to talk about politics and ethnicity and sex and other things that divide us. And we're going to dive deep. And I'm so excited to see how God will continue to shape this community through this journey. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how God's going to use this to prepare us and to stretch us and to shape us. And I'm hopefully around the time that we're done with this series, some of the restrictions will be lifted and we can really put into practice what we've been talking and learning about together. And so what about you? Who do you see as different and maybe have some trepidation about befriending, spending time with, investing into? Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a member of your extended family. Maybe it's someone who looks different than you. Maybe it's that person that you argue with about politics. Maybe it's someone whose values around sexuality aren't the same as yours. My prayer is that God would begin to soften your heart, to push you out of your comfort zone, that God would open the door for you to start making some new friends in unlikely places. And church, we don't do this because it's a fad or because it's a program. We do this because it's biblical. It's the way of Jesus. His, his kingdom is here. It's expanding. And this world needs a church that goes outside of their walls to love people of all backgrounds. I think that is a little slice of heaven. And I'm really looking forward to journeying together as a community as we navigate this series in the next few weeks. I'm willing to pray for all of us. Jesus, I'm so excited to navigate through this series and to learn how it is that you want us to look beyond ourselves to look beyond our differences and our stereotypes and our disagreements, to find a common way where the most effective apologetic is love. Would you let that thought, the most effective apologetic is love, would you just let that permeate our hearts, to seep into our bones, to let us live that out? And I thank you for all the ways throughout the years that South Fellowship has done this. Would you challenge us and stretch us and take us to the next level as we look beyond our walls to love the city, the neighbors you place us with, the communities we're a part of, and the nation that you've planted us in today. And I ask all these things in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. And together we said, amen. 
By the way, we have copies of the Not Like Me book. Um, I talked with Eric and got a really good deal, cheaper than Amazon or any place you'll find it. We got it we've got them for 10 bucks a copy. You can get them at the church. We'll send out a note uh, on how you can best do that. But I would love if a whole bunch of us would get the book and just start reading through it and chewing on it. And be sure to pay attention. Attend every weekend. Invite your friends. Tell them. We're in a series where we're talking about how to love our neighbors well, how to look beyond our differences. Invite people to be a part of, of the movement of Christ in this season in our lives. I can't wait, Sal, to see how God teaches us and, and stretches us in the next few weeks. And my prayer is that may his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's sing together. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Oh!